All right, well, praise God. This morning we're going to go ahead and continue on our, our series in the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And uh, today, as we continue on, we're going to uh, continue to dive in that we're a people of faith. And this is one of my, my favorite things because faith is essential to our, our life as Christians, to Christian living. It's, it's essential to pleasing God. It's essential to salvation. It's essential to everything that we do as Christians. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, as we go through this, this lesson today, this message today, which will actually be uh, uh, much more of, a, of an educational lesson as we look through the Bible and learn about faith. But what is faith? You know, in, in worldly faith, faith that you have in the world is, is all based on experiences that you have. You know, when you trust somebody, it's usually because that they've, they've been faithful in the past, that they've been trustworthy in the past. You know, you have faith that you're going to get your paycheck every Friday because it's always come. You know, you never, very rarely do we wonder if our check's coming because we look and we go, hey, it's there, it's always there. When it's not there, we're concerned. You know, when you express faith every time that you sit down in a chair, every time that you sit down, you don't go, I wonder if this chair is going to hold me this time. No, but based on your experience, you can always sit down in the chair and it's going to hold you up, at least most of the time. One time Michelle sat on my lap in a chair and the back legs busted out and I fell down and then I couldn't get up. It's a plastic chair on concrete. I'm trying to get up and put my hands down. I'm just swimming around in the chair in a coliseum. Hi, guys. In a coliseum full of thousands of people. That was great. Good times. She jumps up and just laughs, acts like it wasn't her fault. It was her fault, I tell you. But other than that, I've been able to sit in a chair and it's faithfully held me up. But faith in God is not about experience. Faith in God is about putting your trust in the infallible word of God. Now I thank God that as you put your faith in God, experiences will back it up. Experiences will show that your faith was well placed. But faith in God is based on, on who he is. Then this morning we're also going to look, where does faith come from? Because I'm sure we all want to know where faith comes from. We all want our faith to grow. We'll look at why can God be trusted. We're going to look at, at why is it that God can be trusted. Is he who he says he is? Will he do what he says he'll do? We're going to look at some of the, the enemies of faith. And the primary enemy of faith is unbelief. It's the opposite of faith. I want to look at some models of faith as we look in the Bible at people who have expressed faith and we look at, at, at the, the blueprint of how our faith should be. And, and truthfully, I really want to look at, at faith in action and what the, the power of faith in our lives uh, results in. Where does, what does faith do in our life? What does this whole deal with faith? And truthfully, faith, like I said, is everything in the Christian religion. Faith is, is what, the reason why we can be victorious because we believe what Christ did for us. Matter of fact, without faith, there is no salvation. Because the Bible says you have to believe in your heart to be saved. Without faith, there is no salvation. Without faith, there's no dying with Christ and being raised up with Him. Faith is integral to our, our lives as believers. So let's look at the first scripture that I want to look at is what is faith? Now, something that's interesting is, as I was looking at this stuff, is, is the definition of faith has changed throughout the years. 
In about the last 30 years, we've seen a significant view of what people view faith is today. In 1982, this is what the, the dictionary defined faith is. It said it is the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences, influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. And now is watered down. But now it is watered down to simply this. If you look up faith in the dictionary, it says belief in God or in the doctrines or the teachings of religion kind of a, a different idea of faith. We've kind of watered it down a little bit over the years. It used to be a firm belief of God's testimony and the truth of the gospel, which influences the will. Faith influences your will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. But now it's just we believe in God. But I think that the first definition is better for what faith should be in our life. In Hebrews 11, 1-2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for, it, for by it the men of old gained approval. This word here, assurance, can also be translated as substance or subsistence. And it kind of changes how we look at this. It says, now faith is the substance it's of things hoped for. It is the very reality, the, the realness of things hoped for. It's the very foundation of what our hope stands on. See, the thing is, without faith, biblical hope, and hope for the Christian is everything that Christ completed in us, without faith, biblical hope is meaningless. Because it is the very substance of our hope. And then it says it's the conviction of things not seen. See, faith is believing in something that you may not be able to see with your eyes right now. Do you guys remember the story of the, of the widow who Elijah came and, and told her she'd have a son and she had her son and then, then her son dies? And she's a little riled up about it. So she, he grabs, she marches out of her house and she starts heading towards Elijah. And Elijah sees her and, and he says, is all, all well with you? And she says, yes, all is well. Now, how many of you, if your son just died marching for this, this prophet that told you that you'd have a son, would be like, yeah, everything's, everything's hunky-dory, everything's cool when your son just died. The son that you were promised. I don't know if that's the attitude that I would take. But she says, no, all is well. But why did she say that? Because she knew that her son was promised by God. She had faith that all would be well. She had faith that all would be well. She didn't see it. If she was looking at just what her eyes saw, she would look and she sees her son laying dead. But she had conviction of things not seen. She believed what she couldn't see, that her son was alive, because that was God's promise to her. And it goes on to say, for it by men of old gained approval, and we'll dig into that a little bit later. You know, the funny thing is, is has anybody ever heard the, the thing about blind faith? How can you just have blind faith? Anybody here? Blind faith. Like, blind faith is just this extremely scary thing. I've got to be honest. Blind faith is, is a scary thing. It's terrifying. To have blind faith would, would be nonsense. It would be ridiculous. It would, blind faith is like taking your kids to a complete stranger on the street and say, can you watch them for the next couple hours while I go to the movies? You don't know anything about them. You don't know. I mean, that's blind faith right there. 
The thing is, biblical faith is not blind faith, as much as the world wants to tell you that it is. You know, asking a random stranger to deposit your paycheck into your bank account, that's blind faith, not knowing anything about this person. But biblical faith is not blind at all. Putting your trust in God is about the most sane thing that you can do on this planet. It's the most secure thing that you can do on this planet. Putting your, your life into God's hands is not blind faith, but it's, it's a faith because it's based on the foundation of truth. God cannot lie. He only tells the truth. So he, he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So you put your faith in God and it's not blind at all. And the truth is that every single person in this world has faith in something. We all believe one thing or another. Matter of fact, me and Wayne were just talking this morning about uh, science versus religion. You know, there's always the big date and creationism versus evolution or the Big Bang Theory and all this stuff. But the truth is, it's all faith. They can't prove the Big Bang Theory any more than, than we can prove God in a scientific manner. Because they can't go back in time and show what happened. It's all educated guesses on their part. Matter of fact, I would say that we have more evidence for God because we've seen it in the lives of those around us than they have for evolution or for, for the Big Bang Theory, any of those things. But the truth is, it's all faith. Matter of fact, I would say that their faith is a little bit more blind than ours. So where is your faith this morning? Is it solely resting in God or, or do we have faith in our spouse? And I don't mean that you shouldn't be able to trust your spouse. What I'm saying is, is faith only in your spouse and turned away from God. Or do you have faith in, in your job to get you through things? Your retirement? Everybody has faith in something in this entire world. They're, they're putting their trust in something. I choose to put my trust in God. And then in Hebrews 11.6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, that's where these, these two go together here. For it by men of old gained approval. They gained approval for their faith. And without faith it is impossible to please him. You know, I think in this society, in this world, a lot of times we think that we're going to make God happy by doing the right thing. If I just go to church enough, God will be happy with me. If I help enough people, God will be happy with me. If I give enough money, God will be happy with me. If I don't sin enough, God will be happy with me. And we spend a lot of our time trying to please God in ways that are just religion. They're not a relationship. You see, the truth is, the only thing that pleases God is faith, trusting Him, believing that what He says is true and who He is is who He is. In Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, it says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. And this is uh, Paul quoting David at the time. And this was right after uh, David had com committed the sin with Bathsheba. And matter of fact, in Jewish law, there was no sacrifice for that sin, only death. But David's understood that he says, in sacrifices and offerings, you have not desired. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. 
Because God, since the beginning, hasn't been looking for sacrifice. He's been looking for people of faith. We even find that Abraham was considered righteousness because he believed, because of his faith, not because of the things that he did. But the interesting thing is, the things that you do are usually a result of what you believe. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind take us away. All of our good works that we do in our own strength, the things that we're trying to do to be good people or to please God are like filthy rags. They're nothing. Their value is zip, zero, nada. Philippians 3.8 says, More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. This is Paul speaking again. He says, I count all the things that I've lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord is, is nothing. He says, I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. These things that we do, these religious actions, these religious ceremony just doesn't cut it. It's rubbish to God, but it's our faith that He revels in. It's our faith that pleases Him. He wants people that will trust Him for all that He'll do. Trust Him to do what He says that He'll do. The fact is that we need to believe that God is who He says He is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, and in doing so, we are pleasing God. And that's the only thing that we can do to please him. Now, none of this to say is that doing all those things aren't good. You know what, living without sin? How many know that's a good thing? That's a real good thing. But we don't do it because we want to make God happy. We do it because he changed us from the inside. We don't do it as a, as a way to appease him so he'll like us a little bit more, but we do it because of all he's done for us. We go, to, we go to church because we want to spend time in fellowship with other believers. And the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the, of the brethren. We do that because these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not to, to get God's favor. When we give to God, we give because He gave everything to us. Not because we're trying to score points to have a fancier mansion in heaven. Our faith is based on Him being who He is, who He says He is, and doing what He says He'll do. So the question is, if He is, is who does He say He is? What does He say He'll do? Is He actually faithful? Because some of you know you don't want to put your faith in something that's not faithful, that's not worthy of your faith and trust. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And then in Numbers 23.19 it says, God is not a man that He should lie nor the Son of Man that He should repent. Has He said and will He not do it? Or has He spoken and will He not make it good? Also in James 1.17, I wrote another scripture down here. It says, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. See, the truth is that, that God is pure. God is truth. His word is true. There's no shifting or variation in God. He's not saying one thing to one person and another thing to another, but His promises are yes and amen to every single one of us in Christ Jesus. See, the truth is 
that God is faithful. He's not a man. He's not like us who's subject to changing his mind or lying. He's not like, like us where we, we tell somebody something. Has anybody ever broke a promise? I have. God doesn't break his promises to you. He's not like us in that aspect. And the truth is, if you've lived a while as a Christian, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you actually see God's work in your life. You begin to see that, you know what, He is faithful. But how many know that that happens after you put your faith in Him? You take that step of faith and you begin to see the fruits. It doesn't work the other way around. You don't go, I'll trust Him when He shows me He's trustworthy, but you trust Him and then you'll see that He is trustworthy. You know, there was a, a preacher's son once who was, who was told repeatedly to go wash his hands before lunch and before dinner. And finally, the, the little kid says, why do I always have to wash my hands? And his mother said, son, there are germs on your hands. And he begins to look at his hands and he's looking at them carefully. He goes, I don't see any. She goes, well, you can't see them, but they're there. And his dad said, firmly, now go wash your hands. The little boy stomps away, he shakes his head, and he's mumbling under his breath, Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs. That's all they ever talk about in this house, and I ain't never seen either of them. But the truth is, we do see Jesus in our lives. We see the effect. I've seen people miraculously healed of cancers and diseases that have no natural cure. I've seen people's lives completely changed. They've been... They've been uh, rescued from addiction and drugs and alcohol. They've been rescued from terrible places in their lives and, and been rescued from terrible relationships. And then in my own life, I've seen my marriage be completely restored and healed as it was about to fall apart and crumble into nothing. I've seen financially go from, uh, from people that couldn't manage money, couldn't do it, never had enough money and filed bankruptcy to... Two people were able to tithe regularly and invest in the kingdom of God and not only just tithing but above and beyond because God has so blessed us and taken care of us because I trusted Him. You see, we determine if something is worth trusting, if it's trustworthy, by knowing is it reliable? Will it stand the test of time? We determine if we can trust people. Do they love us? Do they have our well-being in mind? Do they care about us? And I want you to know that God is all these things. God is reliable. He will stand the test of time because God is eternal. And as, as we see here, His Word doesn't change. He doesn't repent. He doesn't change His mind. It says if He has said it, He's going to do it. If He has spoken it, He will make good on it. And the Bible actually says God is watching over His Word, ready to perform it in our lives. Of all the things in this world that we can put our faith in, God is the only one that's guaranteed to never let you down. If you put your faith in a man, even good men, they're bound to let you down from time to time. You can put your faith in leaders of this, this government, this country. You can put your faith in, in your father, your natural father. You can even put your faith in the pastor. And at some point, they're going to let you down. But God will never let you down. So then if we know God is trustworthy, the next question is, well, where do we get this faith that you're talking about? In Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word, word of Christ. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, it says, In my message, in my preaching, we're not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. There's another scripture I want to read as I was going through my notes last night and, and looking stuff up. It's in Romans 12:3. In the last part of Romans 12:3, it says, As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God has given every single person in this room a measure of faith. You, you have faith right now. And the question that we have to deal with is how do we grow that faith? How do we nurture that faith? You know, asking God for more faith is kind of silly because he's given you faith already. He's given you a measure of faith. So if God's given me a measure of faith, how do I nurture that? How do I grow it? How does it become greater and stronger? Because definitely there are people with greater faith than others. And probably even in your own life, I know in my own life, there's areas of my life that I have much greater faith than others. Dwight Moody, preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, once said, If all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. But now I opened my Bible and began to read God's worth, and faith has been growing ever since. See, faith is grown. It comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And I think the primary reason of that, is, as you're a young believer, is because you don't even know what you're believing in. You don't know that you're victorious if you don't actually spend time in the Word and go, hey, wait a minute, it says right here that in Christ I am victorious. In Christ I can do anything. By His stripes I am healed. You begin to look at all these things and, and that's where your faith begins to grow because you're learning what you are. But then I think as we mature, we, we know all these things intellectually, but it's when we spend time in the Word that our faith is rekindled. As we read these things again and we begin to have a revelation of what they are and our faith has grown. That's why if you have an area in your life that you're struggling, the best thing that you can do is write scriptures that talk about that. If you're struggling with healing in some area, write words of scripture about healing and put them up all over your house. Read them all the time. Your faith will grow in that area. And we have here it says that our faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, faith that rests on the wisdom of man is nothing. Like I said, every, every time, man will fail you at some point. Faith in man is a brittle creation. But faith in God, resting on the power of God, is faith that will serve you for your entire life. As you read the Word and it's resting on the power of God, the Word of God, it will grow in you and you'll begin to see results that you've never seen before. As I imagine most of you have already seen in your lives as your faith has grown, even over this last year. Things have changed. Life around you has changed as God has worked in your life as your faith has grown. And something else that I, I want to bring up that's kind of an interesting side note is, is how many of you like testimonies of stuff that's happened in people's lives? Those are encouraging, right? It's amazing to see God's work in their lives. But even as you give your testimony, it's always important when you're talking to people to, to give them the word as well because testimonies, while they, 
they ignite excitement inside of us, why they, they encourage us in the Lord, especially as believers. But if you're giving your testimony to someone that's not a believer, even in believers' lives, your testimony is not producing faith in their life. But your testimony is a great opportunity to open the door to share the word in somebody's life, which does produce faith. You know, your, your testimony is you're, you're talking to people at work and, and you're trying to, to find some way to bring it up. Just begin to tell them about what God's done in your life. And that, that in and of itself is not going to produce faith in life. It's not going to change anything, but it may give you the opportunity to share the word with them. And when you have the opportunity to share the word, then faith can begin to grow in their life. And the truth is, I mean, that's one of the best ways to, to be able to, to have an impact in someone's life is... is you know, how can you know that there's a God? Well, let me tell you about what He did in my life. And you have the opportunity to share the Word, to begin to build faith in their hearts so that they can begin to experience the trustworthy and faithful God that you yourself experience. The next thing I want to look at is the enemy of faith. In Matthew thirteen fifty-five through 58 it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And then Matthew 14, 28-31 says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, the purpose of these scriptures is to show you that, that unbelief is the enemy of faith. Jesus, Jesus couldn't do miracles. This is the Son of God. God in the flesh could not do miracles because of their unbelief. And then we have, we have Peter who's walking on water with Jesus. I mean, how many... I think we all like to look back and, and we look at that story and, man, if I walked on water, I had faith that would move mountains. I, would, I mean, if I walked on water, there was nothing that could shake me. But he was walking on water for... I mean, we don't know how long, but not more than probably 30 seconds. And... All of a sudden, doubt began to creep in. And he begins to sink. Jesus, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I mean, I think sometimes we, we look back at these, these times in the Bible and we're like, man, if I lived in those times, I would have so much faith. I would believe like you wouldn't, I mean, because I would see it all. I mean, my, I would be seeing all these things and my faith would never waver. And all throughout the Bible we see examples of godly men and women, men and women that walked with Jesus, whose faith wavered. Peter began to sink when he's standing next to Jesus on the water. I mean, I think if I was standing on water with Jesus, I'd be like, this is a faith-building time right now. I mean, how could I, I'm walking on water, how could I doubt anything else? But he begins to doubt and he begins to sink. Then later on, Peter, when uh, when, when Jesus is crucified, he begins to, to deny Jesus. I mean, he walked with Jesus. He saw miracles happen. He saw people get, he, he saw all these incredible things. Yet he still doubted. He still turned away. He still turned his back. And then I've seen people that have been miraculously healed from different diseases. I, I knew a man who was healed from pancreatic cancer. 
We laid hands on him and he was healed. And, and wouldn't you know, a few weeks after he was healed, we never saw him again. I mean, he, he got healed. He was touched by God and then turned his back on him. And it's, that kind of stuff blows me away. But the things that we see in this story here is one that we have faith that Jesus was doing what he said he would do. Jesus said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come out. And he was trusting in Jesus to walk on the water. And the other one is, is they were having problems in this verse because they didn't believe he was who he said he was. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, he, you limit his impact in your life. As we see here, they're like, wait a minute, is this not the carpenter's son? Didn't we grow up with this kid? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judah? And his sister, are they not all with us? I mean, he grew up in this town. I mean, we know his mom, we know his dad, we know his brothers are still here. And they didn't believe he was who he said he was. They just thought he was the neighborhood kid instead of believing that he was, that he was God. And because of that, they limit his ability to work in our lives. And the truth is, that very same thing will affect us in our lives right now. If we don't believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do, then we limit his ability to do those things that he said he would do in our lives. And we have to be careful too that like Peter at the first sign of trouble, we don't have our doubt, we don't have our faith shaken and doubt creep in. Sometimes in faith you've got to stick it out. You've got to keep believing even when things are looking a little bit crazy. When all of a sudden you begin to see that the wind is starting to kick up, you need to keep your faith strong in what the Lord is, has for your life. Because if you don't, the first, the first sign of trouble, our doubt kicks in, and next thing you know, we begin to sink. Next, I want to show you what the, the power of faith does to our lives. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, and for truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And then in Matthew 21, 21, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. The first thing that we notice here is a little faith goes a long way. A faith the size of a mustard seed. If you would just have that kind of faith, you will begin to, to tell mountains to move and they will cast into the sea. Seemingly impossible things will be under your authority. And the truth is that this is probably better transferred, not if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, but if you have faith as a mustard seed. And what I believe it's saying by that is, is a mustard, mustard seed is, is an interesting thing. And I've, I've showed you guys this picture before, but that's a mustard seed. And this is what it grows into. What's that, a 10 or 12 foot tall plant from a seed that, if you didn't know it was there, you, would, you wouldn't see it. If we had faith like that, faith that would be kindled and grown, if we had faith that measure of faith that's allotted to us, if we would just spend time in the Word and let it grow, this is what it turns into, faith that grows. And, and when you let your faith grow, when you continue to trust in God and, and it increases, then your faith will grow to something that can cast mountains into the sea. And the thing is that the Word doesn't say, ask God to cast the mountain into the sea. 
but it says you will cast it into the sea. Your faith. That's why when we, when, we heal, when we ask for healing for people, we don't beg God to heal them, but we take authority over ourselves, the authority that Christ has given us in His name and in faith. We declare healing in their lives. See, the fact of the matter is, we need to come to a point in our lives where we, we stop telling our God about our problems. We start telling our problems about our God. Amen? And in Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me up Himself for me. Sorry, and gave Himself up for me. See, the thing is, to be crucified with Christ means that we traded places with Him, that He, he died in our place, and we have His life in our place. And it's by faith that this miracle happens, and only by faith. By faith, we are made brand new. That's the power of faith in our lives. That when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a miracle happened in your life and that you were made brand new. That old person that you were was passed away. You become justified. You become holy. You're perfect. You're pure. And you've been redeemed by Christ, by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And what that means is that we believe what God says versus what we see. It's as simple as that. The difference between truth and facts. You know, you might say the fact is that I'm, I'm sick right now, but the truth is by His stripes I am healed. The fact is I've lost my job right now, but the truth is that God will supply all of my needs according to His riches. The fact might be I feel alone right now, but the truth is that God will never leave you or forsake you. The fact might be that you feel unclean right now, but the truth is that you are redeemed in Christ. And the funny thing is, most of these start with, I feel. Which is a fact. You can feel a certain way. But the truth is, almost always different than how you feel. Which is why we should never trust our feelings, but trust the Word of God. And what I find amazing is I begin to trust the Word of God, my feelings to become, become aligned with the truth of God in my life. When I begin to believe what God has to say for me, I can say, you know what, the truth is that I am redeemed in Christ. And you know what? I'm starting to feel that way. I'm starting to feel clean. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He's done in me. Because I believe what He said is true. He says that I'm clean, therefore I am. It's like the scripture that says that you are holy because He is holy. I'm holy because He is holy and He says I'm holy. And whenever I don't feel that way, I just meditate on the Word of God and my faith begins to grow. And I begin to feel like God says I am. Another example of the power of faith in our life is 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. It is our faith that allows us to overcome the world. Because the truth is, the world's always knocking, and there's going to be temptation coming at you every day. And like we've talked about before, is, is temptation is not sin. If you're tempted, that's fine. It's what you do with it that's the issue. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, but He withstood with the Word of God. You see, Jesus' faith in the desert never wavered. He continued to trust God and believe God. 
And in the same way, we can overcome by faith. We have faith that we are healed. We have faith that we are victorious. We have faith that we are more than conquerors. We have faith that we are loved. We have faith that we are forgiven. We have faith that we are saved. And because of these things, we have faith that the bondage of sin has been broken in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Because of these things, we overcome in this world. The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. In Luke 18, 17, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. You know, it, it wasn't until I had kids that I finally got my head wrapped around this verse and what exactly did this mean? Like a child, I, what does that mean? But I began to see examples of it in my children's lives as they were growing up, when they were, when they were real little, before the, the world would begin to kind of jade them and they begin to see things. And in particularly, as Blake, I remember as we were growing up, when he was real little, just a couple years old, he asked me to fix a toy that he had broke. And he broke it good. There was no, there's no way I'm fixing this, this toy. It's, I don't remember what the toy was, but I just remember saying, I can't fix it. And he looked at me and says, yes, you can. There was no doubt in his eyes that I could make this toy better. And I began to realize that's what he meant. That's the kind of faith that he was talking about. That there, was, there was no doubt that I could fix what is broken. Or I remember when the, when the girls were young, they'd be up on top of, of uh, playground equipment or whatever, and I'd hold them out and jump to me. You ever know with a little kid, there's... When they get older, you tell them to do that, they're looking around, they're a little bit nervous. But when they're little, they just, no problem. You better be there to catch them. Or when you're not even ready, Daddy, catch me, jump. And you're, ah. You know, and the kids, because they trust you without any hesitation, without any trepidation, they believe that you're going to catch them. That's faith like a child. And the other thing that I think is interesting is, is child child's children rely on their parents for everything i'm talking young children here you know that you have to feed them you have to bathe them you have to clothe them you have to do everything for them they rely on you and without you they can do nothing sound familiar without christ we can do nothing what is it? It's, uh, I think it's John 15, 15. It says, uh, For I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, and I in you. And it says that, uh, at the end of that verse, it says, that Apart from me, you can do nothing. Same thing is, is like children. Apart from us, they can do nothing. Without God, we can do nothing. And that's, that's the faith that we need. That's the trust that we need, the reliance that we need on God. Receive the kingdom of God like a child. So let's look at some examples in the Bible of, of faith in action. And in Matthew 15, 25-28, it says, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs from which, which fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. 
This is a Gentile woman coming up to Jesus, who is a Jew. I mean, the Gentiles weren't supposed to associate with Jews, especially Gentile women. In this, this day and age, you know, women didn't hold the same uh, uh, social equality that, that we see in today's world. And th this is not an okay thing. And she's, she's expressing faith even in that aspect in her actions, but she gets to Jesus, and Jesus is not ready to go to the Gentiles yet. Right now, Jesus is ministering to the Jews. And she comes up to him, and she's asking him, Oh, teacher, saying, Lord, help me. And basically what he's saying is that he's not being rude to her. He's just using an analogy to say that I've come to the Jews. I'm not here for the Gentiles right now. But she knew who he was. She had a revelation of who he was, and she wasn't taking that for an answer. She was putting her trust in this man wholeheartedly like a child, relying on him. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs from which fall from their master's table. And he says, oh, woman, your faith is great. See, why was her faith so great? Because even when she could not see the outcome, she was believing in him. Even when Jesus himself basically said, sorry, it ain't going to happen, she continued to believe. I think... That's a lot to be said right there, because I think if Jesus said to me it ain't going to happen, I'd, I'd probably be a little hurt and offended. And, and, uh, but no, she kept at it. She's like, you know, I know who you are, and I know what you can do, and I'm putting my faith in you. Others thought he was just a carpenter, but she knew that there was something different about him. And because of that, he says, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as, as what? As she wishes. It was her faith that enabled this healing to happen in her life, in her daughter's life. And in Luke 7, 6-9, it says, Now Jesus started on his way with him, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. You know, Jesus marveled at this man's faith, and we only find Jesus marveling a couple times in the Bible, and it's at great faith and great disbelief. But see, this, this Roman officer... Being a soldier, he understood some things. First off, when he talked, he expected to be obeyed. When he, when he gave an order, he wasn't one, you know, if I tell this guy to do this, I wonder if, he'll, I wonder if he's going to listen to what I have to say. But no, when, this, when this, this Roman officer spoke, he expected his words to be obeyed, and he knew that they would. He knew that the soldier was going to perform his duty. And because of that, when he gets to Jesus, he says, don't trouble yourself any further. You don't even have to come into my house. Just say it, and it's done. He understood the, the authority that Jesus had. He understood that if all he had to do was speak the word, and he says, you know what? I'm just a simple soldier, and when I say something to get done, it gets done. And I recognize who you are. I recognize the authority that you have, and all you have to do is say the word. Now, that's great faith. You see, he understood authority. He says, I'm a man under authority, 
and there are men that are under authority that are that are under my authority. And in the same way, this world is under Jesus' authority. You see, we are men and women under authority as well. We are under the authority and headship of Jesus Christ. And just like this Roman soldier's authority came from someone who was higher up than him, our authority comes from someone that's higher up than us. Because we are under the authority of Jesus, that means that we have authority in this life. We can speak the words just like this and say it and it'll be done. That's why the Bible says, say to this mountain, be cast in the sea, and it'll go up and be cast into the sea. Because that's the authority that we have. That's why when we pray for, for healing, like I just said earlier, we, we claim that it's done. We take authority because it's the authority that's been given to us in Jesus. Jesus said that we will do greater works than these, speaking of his miracles. And the reason is because we're operating under His authority in this world. And we can say to things, come and they'll come, just like this soldier. We can say to things, do this and it'll be done. We can speak to our problems. We can speak to this world. And it has to listen because we're under the, the authority of Jesus Christ, which we know there is no name above His. Amen? Next, we need to understand we have to have patience bundled up with this faith. This is the hardest part. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Faith and patience go together like peas and carrots. I never understood that expression because I'm not a huge fan of peas and carrots. <laughs> but I digress. Nonetheless, sometimes with faith, we have to wait it out. We have to keep on believing. Just because something isn't happening instantaneously does not mean that God is not faithful, that God is not honoring His Word. You know, when you plant a seed... You believe that it's going to grow. You believe that it's going to produce a plant and produce fruit. But if you plant a seed and you, you wait 15 minutes, and it's not you know like Jack and the Beanstalks where we're looking at, throw the magic beans down, shoots through the, through the sky. It's not how it works. It only works in fairy tales that way. But if you plant a seed and you wait two hours and nothing's happened, if you dig it up, chances are you've killed that seed. And now nothing is going to be produced because... You had the initial faith. You, you put the seed in the ground, but there was no patience involved with it. Your, your faith was fleeting. You know, many times people will ask, you know, I've been believing for this and nothing's happened, so I stopped believing. That, that's your problem. You know, don't stop believing. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep believing. Keep the faith. Keep trusting God. And know that his word says that he's watching over it, ready to perform it. You know, Noah believed for 120 years that a flood was coming. That's a long time. I mean, if any of us had to believe for 120 years before we received our promise, I mean, no, we're not getting it. You know, we just don't live that long anymore. <laughs> Abraham believed 25 years for the promise of his son Isaac. You know, we spent time 
when we began to first plant this church and we moved up here and Gladden Farm, we lived, we were trying to do a Bible study in Gladden Farms for, I think we were probably going on two and a half years and nothing was happening. You know, we were, we were, we were doing outreaches, we were handing out flyers, we were trying to get people to come and somebody would show up once and they would leave and, and all these things. A lot of, you know, it happens in a lot of the ways like we're seeing now as we do these things. We'll see a new face and, and then we won't see them again and it's, it's discouraging sometimes. But we were doing this for two and a half years trying to get something kicked off. Vinny knows he was there, Julie, as we tried to get this stuff going and it's, nothing was happening. And that's discouraging. That makes you want to give up. That makes you want to quit. But I believed God had a plan for us, a plan for this church in Marana. And had we quit, we wouldn't be here today. Seeing the fruit of those labors, seeing the, 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 the truth of what God said, His promises being manifest in our lives. And even now, when sometimes things don't seem like they're going how we want them to go, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep believing God. And we keep seeing small glimmers as we go forward. We see new faces and families that are starting to... We're seeing the fruit of that because we're not giving up. We're going to continue to trust God. And not only by faith, but with patience, we'll inherit the promises. Amen? The last scriptures I want to look at today is Ephesians 6, 13-17. It says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having everything done to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flames, flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to know with the shield of faith, with your faith, you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. That's how we overcome in this world. When the enemy begins to throw stuff at you, you continue to stand in faith. And then it will extinguish those darts. When the cars break down, stand in faith. If you lose your job, stand in faith. If you're not making what you need to, stand in faith. If you start to get sick, stand in faith. And your faith will always overcome those darts that the enemy is throwing at you. A Roman soldier's shield was big enough to cover a man from the top to the bottom. It was one of those tower shields. They were completely guarded by, by their shield as a Roman soldier. And I want you to know that our faith is like that. You are completely protected and guarded if you will stand in faith. And the last one, in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. I want you to know that we're going to continue fighting the good fight. You know, we've talked about that we're a people of faith as we've looked through all these things and why we should have faith and why God is trustworthy. That's the culture of this church. We're a people who trust God. We're a people who are going to continue to fight the good fight. We're going to finish this course and we're going to keep the faith. In the short term, as we begin to build this congregation and in the long term, as one day we'll go home to be with Jesus. But we will keep the faith. 
And that's who we are as a church, as people of faith. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.